0: Let's pray. Lord God, the relationship between law and grace, between the old covenant and the new, it, it, is, it is simple. It, it is not hard on, on the surface to understand. But Lord, our... Our lives are complicated and it doesn't take us long to get this thing turned around inside out and upside down. What a strange thing to our ears that we would be warned about refusing the offer of Mount Zion in Hebrews 12. That's a strange thing for many modern ears to hear. Lord, how shall we escape if we would neglect so great a salvation as the cross and the empty tomb. How indeed. So please, Lord, help us to be serious about our joy in Jesus this morning. I pray that you'd help us to, to put on our thinking caps and get a a few, a few things in place to understand the nature of the difference, the relationship between the Old and New Covenant, and then set us on fire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'll invite you to open a Bible to the book of Jeremiah. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. If you'd like to use one of the red Bibles that's underneath the seats, uh, the text is found on page 660. 660 in the Red Bibles, Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning in verse 31, and you can just maybe hold hold your place there. It may take you a while to get there, so I'll talk a little bit. This Memorial Day weekend is week three of a four-week series on the topic of covenant. It's entitled, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, a Study of the Old and New Covenants in Holy Scripture. And if you've been with us either of these weeks, I hope maybe one thing that you've brought home with you is simply just our definition of what a covenant is. I've, I've confessed before that this word covenant, for me, uh, sometimes is a stained-glass kind of word, and as soon as I hear it, I begin to uh, uh, lose interest, frankly. And so we need to fill this word up with, with meaning. Helpful, biblical, motivating meaning. And so a covenant is an oath-bound commitment In relationship. That's what a covenant is. It's an oath bound commitment in relationship. And as it was in the beginning, so it is today, God identifies his people and he spreads his kingdom through his covenant. And over the last two weeks, we have seen four really remarkable displays of God's grace in the Old Covenant. For example, first, God's covenant with Noah is his oath bound commitment to preserve his creation and to do so until the return of Christ, signed by a rainbow and sealed in blood. Secondly, God's covenant with Abraham, his oath-bound commitment in relationship to Abraham, is his desire to bless the offspring of Abraham, that's Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, signed by circumcision, sealed in blood. Third, God's covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, again, an oath-bound commitment, in this case, to reward Obedience and punished disobedience, signed into law, and sealed in blood. In the Mosaic Covenant, God legislated love, signed it into law, sealed it with blood. Finally, God's covenant with David, that's where we ended last week. It's his oath-bound commitment to spread his kingdom, signed by an everlasting throne, that's Jesus, sealed in blood. That's Jesus, every time. Now, this week the transition is colossal. There is simply no way to overstate how titanic the difference between the old covenant and the new. The metamorphosis between the two, the changing of the guard between the old and the new covenant uh, reminds me of a particular viral video on YouTube. There's a clip from a 1994 episode of the Today's Show where Bryant Gumbel and Katie Couric are trying to understand the Internet. And Gumbel is saying things like, that little mark with the A around it, the ring around it, I've seen it before, I just never heard it said. An NBC com. Com, what is that? What is the internet anyway? You write to it like mail? It's the craziest 90 second time warp you'll ever see. I challenge you, to if you've got 90 seconds to spare, not now, Bryant Gumble, internet on YouTube. You'll find it, it is a living parable for us. And if you're younger than 20 years old, you don't understand the revolution that our culture has been a part of. It is on a par with the development of the printing press. In some sense, Americans in 1994 had much more in common with their daily lives, with folks living in 1954, than they do in 2014. It's true. Here's the point. The same is true, even more so when it comes to the similarities and differences with the Old Covenant and the New. When speaking of the Old Covenant, the Bible uses words like obsolete, growing old, vanishing away kind of like your flip phone <laughs> by distinction the new covenant is called better faultless eternal not like your iPhone 5s but that's going to be obsolete in 6 months so <laughs> better than an iPhone and the first people to herald the tidings of the new covenant were the old testament Prophets. From the middle of the 8th century BC to the middle of the 5th century BC, God raised up a company of men, mainly men, called prophets. Prophets had everything to do with covenant. God is a covenant God, He's an oath bound commitment and relationship God. And the Old Testament prophets were God's covenant enforcers. They were his covenant prosecutors. One resource I read put it this way. The prophets confronted the people of God and exposed the clever and devious ways by which they had gradually slipped away from a proper relationship with God and one another as defined by the covenant. So God's people broke God's covenant. We'll see that in just a second. And nevertheless... Alongside impending judgment, which thunders through every one of the writing prophets, alongside impending judgment, God's prophets also announced astonishing hope. They bore glad tidings of a new oath bound commitment in relationship, a new covenant. The prophet Jeremiah explains it as well as anyone. Listen now to the words of the prophet Jeremiah from Jeremiah 31. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So what's new about the new covenant? Well, some credit John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, with this nugget, but Having done a little research on it, I think it was 18th century British pastor John Barrage who wrote, in my mind, what are probably the two greatest lines, maybe the greatest couplet in the history of the church. Barrage describes the contrast between the Old and New Covenant this way. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings." I sat at a Panera Bread two months ago with my phone and texted that to about 20 of my friends. I was so encouraged by it. one by one. Hmm. That's good. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly, and it gives me wings. So... Here in these lines, the metamorphosis between the old covenant and the new is unfolded. It's unfolded in terms of law and gospel here. That's a helpful way to do it. In this case, we're going to stay with the language of covenant just for the purposes of consistency. So what's new about the new covenant? We've already heard Jeremiah 31 read for us. All that's left is just to unfold it, and we'll do it in three simple steps. We'll start with the final sentence of the last verse in our reading. Here's the first of three points to describe what's new about the New Covenant. Point one. Behold the pardon of the New Covenant. Behold the pardon of the New Covenant. Look with me at the last sentence in our text this morning. Last section of Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity... And I will remember their sin no more. Speaking of the same new covenant promise, but employing the language of washing, we read in Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. That's the language of washing in Ezekiel. It's the same promise here in Jeremiah. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. When we pause to think about the wonder and the grace involved in a holy God approaching a sinful people at all in the old covenant for relationship, it's overwhelming. I mean, let's remember that In covenant, God offers an oath-bound commitment of himself and relationship to people, and the very people that he offers the relationship to resent his presence in their lives. They'll worship the creation, but then begrudge the creator. As far as Israel is concerned... God's role in their lives is incidental at best, problematic at worst. Now, you'd have to have kids for this illustration to fly. But throughout the pages of the Old Testament, God is treated by his people as kids on the Disney Channel treat their parents today. A joke. An absolute joke. We're a long way from father knows best. An embarrassment. That's how Israel felt about the Lord and his relationship in their lives. They felt like he was hovering. Well, if you were God, what would you do with these folks? I know what I'd do. I certainly wouldn't do what he does here in verse 34. I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. But how? If God is a just God, how can he simply forgive without punishing thousands of years of idolatry? Well, as with the old covenant, the new covenant is sealed in blood. And it's not the blood of bulls and goats. Not like the old covenant. But blood was certainly spilled in order to secure this pardon. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus Christ took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant that is shed for you, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. Our forgiveness doesn't come about by God lowering the penalty for his righteous law, but rather by God meeting the just penalty of his own law through the suffering and death of his son. Hebrews 9, says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. On the other hand, through the shedding of Christ's blood, there is forgiveness of sins. And the most incredible aspect of this covenant, this oath-bound commitment in relationship, is that it is still valid today. And everyone here is welcome today to enter in by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Think about this year so far, the first quarter of 2014. Or think about the last seven days, or if you like, the last three hours. How much liability do you bring to your relationship with God? How much sin? Imagine God speaking these words over your life because of his work through the sacrifice of his son. I will forgive your iniquity. And I will remember your sin no more. When this lands on you, it doesn't take a genius to realize that this is a good deal. This is a really nice arrangement. One of my favorite pastors around today is a man named Ray Ortland. I mentioned him before. He pastors Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. At Emmanuel, they've developed what they call the Emmanuel Mantra. And it goes like this. Number one, I'm a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. Number three, anyone can get in on this. So first, I'm a complete idiot. This is what Ortland says. There has not been one nanosecond of all my life where God has looked down on me and said, Ooh, that's impressive. (laughs) And how God sees me is how I really am. So there's no excuse for a human being like me. But I kind of already know that. That's why the second part of this is so unbelievable. He says, my future is incredibly bright. Well, why? Because Jesus lived the perfect life I should have lived, and he did that for me. And then he died the guilty death under the wrath of God that I don't want to die, and he did that for me. All that he asks of me now, all I can do, is to receive his mercy with the open hands of faith. And when I do, that's when God starts giving me the kind of future Jesus deserves. Um, That's incredibly bright. He finishes by saying, and because it's all mercy, this can be for anyone. Anyone at all. However idiotic. It can be for you. If it's not too far beneath you. Amen? Amen? The gospel, according to Ray Orland and Emmanuel Church. Behold the pardon of the new covenant. Are you in on it? Secondly, behold the power of the new covenant. Behold the power of the new covenant. Now, this, this is huge. This couldn't be any huger. The new covenant is not just about pardon as if that weren't amazing enough. The new covenant is also about power. Take a look with me at Jeremiah 33, middle of verse 33. Sorry, 31, middle of verse 33. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Many of the appearances, if you were to take a concordance and look up the word covenant... Remember, 90% of the word covenant is in the Old Testament. 316 appearances from Old Testament to New, 90% of them in the Old Covenant. And a good chunk of the word covenant is in relationship to this phrase, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. It it, uh, accounts for a number of the appearances. The Ark of the Covenant was a foot and a half by foot and a half wooden cube... Overlaid in gold, where the uh, commandments of Moses, among other things, were, were kept. The tablets that God gave to Moses. The Ark of the Covenant is where the Word of God was kept. And yet, by the time you get to Jeremiah, chapter 3, verse 16, Jeremiah predicts a day that will come among God's people when, quote, the ark of the covenant of the Lord shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. Why? Because the new covenant promises that God will one day put his law within his people. In the new covenant, people's hearts, in other words, will become the Ark of the Covenant of God. The place where God's word is kept. That's amazing. Now we're not done. Verse 33 also says, I will write my law on their hearts. Heart. The word heart appears hundreds of times in the Bible, almost a thousand times Old Testament to New. And we typically use the word heart to describe the emotions or maybe even our mood in a real cheap way. The Bible's use of the word heart is so far deeper. The emotions are inclusive in the heart, but in no way exhaustive of it. The heart in the Bible is equal to our desires, our wants, our longings, our cravings, our Soul hungers and thirstings, our appetites and drives, why we do what we do. That's the heart. And in Jeremiah 31 33, God says He will write His law on people's hearts, on their desires, on their wants, at the level of their deepest motives. What would that be worth to you if you wanted what God wanted for you? One more aspect of this, and then we'll do some application. When the prophet Ezekiel speaks of the new covenant promise in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, God says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit, capital S, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. NIV says, move you, move you to obey my statutes. You know what that is? That's power. That's Holy Spirit power. It's the power of the person and work of the third person of the Trinity. So yes, the gospel is about being transferred to safety. Amen. It's about being transferred to safety. It is also about being transformed into a saint. It's about transfer and it's about transformation. In the Old Covenant, God offers instructions. We said last week, the instructions are basically this. Love God, love everybody else. Fail and die. And God's law shows you the pathway for love. God's law shows you how far short you fall of the goal of love. And it warns you, it curbs you in some ways in your selfishness, serves as a deterrent, not entirely. But that's all the old covenant offers. In the new covenant, God has provided for everything we could possibly think of. Pardon for our sin, proximity to his word, passion for our heart, power to obey. I think most people who profess faith in Christ don't know this. That's my experience. There's an old Cherokee legend that describes a grandfather speaking to his grandson, and he tells his grandson that there's a war going on inside of him. The grandfather describes two wolves, one good, one evil, fighting for supremacy. And the grandson asks his grandfather, grandfather, which one wins? Grandfather told his grandson, whichever one I feed Friends, that legend is true because it's being played out right now in your heart this morning. There is a war raging inside each and every one of us this morning and it's being fought at the level of your desires. Secular psychology pings back and forth between thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. It's been doing it ever since Freud and that's all they can do. The Bible offers something far more comprehensive. It's a rescue plan for your heart that motivates all of it. Your heart is in God's hands. And that desire, those wants, that's your heart. Remember from last week, the heart of the matter is your heart is the matter. Under the old covenant, there is simply no hope. There's no forgiveness, there's no mechanism, there's no motive, no power to change. It's a desperate situation, and people live it out every day in 21st century America. This past January, the Grammy Awards were held. I try not to miss the Grammys. I'm a complete music geek. But this is the first one I've caught in a long time. And it easily goes down as the most decadent, flagrant celebration of sin in the history of the program. In what had already been a night of debauchery, pushing the moral envelope, the Grammy producers pushed it right over the edge as host Queen Latifah presided over a mass wedding of dozens of same-sex couples. The music that accompanied the event was performed by hip-hop artists Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. It was their song called Same Love, which celebrates same-sex expression within monogamy, and the chorus was written by Seattle songwriter Mary Lambert, who sang in an achingly beautiful chorus, I can't change, I can't change, even if I wanted to. under the new covenant we have a message for mary lambert not one with a bullhorn one with contrition one that wears sackcloth and ashes and is not afraid to kneel and beg her to come to jesus because under the new covenant life can be very different if you use the old analogy we can we can feed the good wolf by God's grace, fueled by faith in God's promises, filled with God's spirit to strengthen us, we can change. We can change. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul describes the process in Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Okay, that's the trump card for every besetting sin the pardon of the new covenant yes and the power of the new covenant grace in the new testament is not God's leniency toward us it is God's mighty power for us finally one last aspect of the new covenant and then we're done third behold the people of the new covenant behold the people of the new covenant now, each verse of our text this morning, it's not a long text, just a little paragraph, isn't it? Each verse of our text makes reference to the people who are on the receiving end of this. It is important that we don't gloss over who's the proper recipient of this, because it's a really good deal. And if you allow me once more, I'm going to read our text, and as I do, pay attention to the folks who are on the receiving end of this oath-bound commitment. Let's read it in context. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke The only comment I'll make about verse 34 is this. Right about where Mary Hall is sitting, six years ago, five, six years ago, there was a man who had his first Sunday in this church. His name was Randy Schnitters. you knew Randy. He was around for a couple of seasons. He helped to build something, something sports-wise in the Twin Cities. He oversaw the production of something, some great stadium. What was it? It wasn't Target Field, but it was something. Anyway, and now he's gone. Well, Randy was sitting right where Mary is, and that's Lou's spot. So Lou Bryce came and sat down next to him. And she said, do you know the Lord? First words out of her mouth. And he said, I do know the Lord. And they were off and running. Fast friends. Behold the people of the new covenant. There will be a day when that will not be a question. Do you know the Lord? We will all know the Lord. From the least to the greatest. From Lou to Randy to everybody in between. Behold the people of the new covenant. So I, I trust you here though in this the, the Jewishness of these promises. We ought to see that. Israel, the Israel and Judaness of the covenant. And if you're a person who's interested in pardon for your sin and power to become a new person, which I assume you are, a person interested in that, then you must. You have no other avenue. You must come through Israel's promised Messiah. You must. Not even Jews themselves who won't come through Jesus are heirs to this covenant. That sounds controversial today. I don't know why that is. First century Jews who thought themselves in a place of spiritual superiority found themselves rudely awakened by the preaching of John the Baptist, who informed them that God was able to make children of Abraham out of stones The ground at the cross is level. The sign of the new covenant is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the seal of the new covenant is his blood, shed for many, within Israel, without Israel. But if you turn from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you trust him to rescue you from your sin and death and Satan, you are a part of this people. You are. Romans 2, 28 to 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. He's talking covenant language. The sign is whether you've been born again, whether your heart has been circumcised. The promises in Jeremiah 31 aren't for Jewish people per se. They're for Jesus People, and if you belong to Christ, you're a part of the new covenant people. Think about the way that Paul explains it to a group of first-century Gentiles in Ephesus, in Eph- uh, Ephesians two, twelve, and thirteen. He urges them, Gentiles though they were, he says, "Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise." having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Here's the fascinating thing. Throughout the book of Ephesians, we're going to see this in our study this summer, uh, that the church is pictured in a number of different ways. Two of the ways that I'm thinking about right now are a body and a temple. A body and a building, a temple building. Both images where interdependence is mission critical. Which means, if you are a Christian, yes, God has pardoned you through Christ's blood. Yes, he's empowering you through Christ's spirit. But he's no less surrounding you with Christ's people. I think it's a message we need to hear going into the summertime. God's oath-bound commitment with us calls for a similar commitment, oath-bound to one another. Remember our reference to Nehemiah 9-10 last week. Hundreds of years before the fulfillment of the new covenant, God's people pray in Nehemiah 9.32 and 9.38, Now therefore our God the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. Here's the application. If the law of Moses, which demands us to run, though we have neither feet nor hands, was able to so inspire a written covenant among God's people hundreds of years before Jesus, how much more the gospel that bids us fly and gives us wings. In the days ahead, you'll have the opportunity to view a document that's been the better part of two years in the making among our elders, the Mound Evangelical Free Church Membership Covenant. It's early days yet, but our desire as elders is to put a current draft before you at one of the upcoming membership meetings and to invite discussion and feedback in full view of the grace of God and what it means to be a part of the new covenant people. It's our desire as a church to be people of the new covenant, committed to one another, bound to one another, in covenant love and concrete commitment in terms of worship and fellowship and evangelistic mission. More on this in the days ahead. Well, run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Behold the pardon of the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Behold the power of the new covenant in the Holy Spirit. And behold the people of the new covenant in the church. Next week is our final Sunday on the topic of covenant as we study the Christ of the new covenant. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees here. This is all about Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 7.22 calls him the Tour of a better covenant, the underwriter, the backer, the patron of a new covenant. We're going to study that patron next Sunday in the book of Hebrews. But right now, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this massive theme in the Bible from Old Testament to New, Old Covenant to New. We are grateful beyond words that you are a God who pursues us by grace in a love, oath-bound relationship with us. And so we pray, Father, that as we happily receive the pardon that you offer us in Jesus... We find ourselves today in need of power. Today. And we want to experience that more and deeper and fuller in the days ahead through the person of the Holy Spirit and his work. And Lord, help us to look around. Help us to see brothers and sisters who are bound by the same covenant, the same covenant God. And would we ponder, would we think long and lovingly about what it might mean to put together and adopt and live, not just file in a drawer somewhere, but live a covenant of membership by grace through faith in this church. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.